Broadcasting worldwide. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. Welcome, everybody, to today's Refresh Your Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorens. Excited to be here with you. Want to welcome all of our listeners from around the country. Uh, in fact, uh, we've got a new affiliate out in Spokane, KSBN. Want to welcome all you listening out there on AM Radio. And for those that are just catching us for the first time, if uh, you haven't uh, known, you can catch us on uh, iTunes as well. We're a top 100 podcast right now on iTunes. We love to share a message about saving taxes, building wealth, protecting our assets. And you can catch us over on uh, iTunes at Refresh Your Wealth Show. And I also uh, want to welcome my amazing co-host, Matt Sorensen, to the show. All right. Thanks, Mark. Well, thanks for everybody for being with us. You can also find us on the BizTalk Radio app and biztalkradio.com. And I want to let you know about today's show. I'm excited for the show today. We're going to be talking about buying a business. Now, this is different than starting a business. There's some crossover topics. We have a prior show about starting up a business. But we're going to talk about buying a business today. We're going to talk about due diligence, deal structuring, tax and legal issues. Try and bring it all together, bring it all together and give you the nuts and bolts you need to know if you're going out to buy a small business. Yeah, and I hate to tell you, there's no lemon law with uh, buying a small business. <laughs> if you're happy on day two, uh, good luck. Buckle up, buddy. So uh, we, you want to make sure that you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, and we help clients every day uh, help uh, help them uh, purchase and then blow up the business to a whole new level in a good way. So we don't want it to blow up in a bad way. Um, so I, think, I think everybody's going to love this show, man. I mean, this is good stuff. Yeah, this is awesome stuff. And I mean, there's a lot of people that go out and want to buy an existing business. I mean, this could be a even an existing franchise business. This could be a, a professional business. If you're in a profession, I don't care what it is. The topics are similar. We're going to go over those today and really delve into it. Um, give some examples we've, ha- we've had from clients of success and failures too, to give you a little insight into there and also give you the legal perspective. You know, I mean, Mark and I are both lawyers. We want to talk to you from what are we seeing um, from the legal side of things? What do you need to know legally? Also delve into some tax issues as well. So um, excited for those topics and really excited. I'm actually, I love this topic. I actually really like helping clients buy businesses and sell businesses. Um, It's really interesting. Every, every deal is different. Personalities are different. You know, someone's selling and someone buying, there's all this, uh, there's all this stuff to negotiate. It's really quite a fun process for me as the lawyer to be involved in. So um, uh, I'm excited to just delve into this topic and get going. But um, Mark, you want to do uh, something was happening in the, I don't know, was there some law passed about something? You oh, yeah. Talk about? Yeah. Just if some of you have heard about this, uh, there's this little thing called Obamacare that uh, all of us need to start preparing for again. It's enrollment time coming up in a couple months. And uh, we want to start planting that seed for you uh, out there that uh, are buying your own insurance and don't have that uh, benefit uh, just handed to you on a silver platter of employment. So uh, this is a great 
planning strategy with health savings accounts, uh, health reimbursement arrangements, uh, writing off your health care. So I don't know, Matt, if you've heard about it. It's the enrollment period. And uh, we're going to be talking about it this show here in the months to come, but just plant and see. Obamacare. I think I've heard about that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a big. <laughs> yeah, I think there was somebody was talking about that once before, but. Uh, yeah, this is a, uh, I mean, self-employed people, business owners, this is a real thing to be keyed in on and, and make sure you're aware of because there are penalties and um, those are actually starting to be applied now, right? There was, yeah. you know, a lot of forgiveness before, but now it's going to start stinging if you're not really, you know, getting on this boat, unfortunately. I know it's sad and I can't wait for Donald Trump here uh, because, you know, <laughs> I think we all get Gucci watches and uh, it's more of a luxury plan. I, I kind of want to get on the luxury plan with the Donald Trump plan. So yeah, uh, we'll yeah. talk about yeah, Trump care, Trump care. Does, so yeah. Does it include uh, hair replacement therapy? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, all, all the uh, $400 haircuts. Yeah, that, it's going to be amazing. I think everybody's going to love it. You're going to look yeah. a lot better. That's the bottom line with Trump care. You are going to look better. Um, oh. Well, anyway, so, uh, well, I think uh, first right here off the bat, we are going to hit a little tip. And excited about every week we do a legal and a tax tip. So how about uh, an amazing legal tip? A legal tip that you can actually use. A legal tip where you don't feel like you have to take a shower after. All right. Well, I'm excited to give the legal tip today. Uh, and this is some one, Mark, you might be like, what is he talking about? He's going to bore the heck out of people. But this is important. Okay. It's practical. I want to talk what, about <laughs> what he's saying is if you're driving down the road, pull over because just, this is going to be a, just, a traffic hazard. <laughs> just giving a disclaimer here. Okay. All right. I want to talk about what is indemnification. Now I know that a lot of people out there you've signed. I mean, you can't go through life this far and not have signed an indemnification clause in a contract. It's probably in a lease agreement you've signed in a mortgage document you've signed in an insurance policy. You're a party to, I mean, you could have bought something online. It's got an insurance policy and the terms and conditions. You listen to music on your phone, on iTunes. It's probably got an indemnification clause. Okay. It's got indemnification clauses are everywhere. And I just want to explain what that is because it's one of those things everyone signs. I don't know what the heck it is, but a lot of times it matters, particularly if you're a business owner contracting for services with vendors or independent contractors. You want to know what indemnification is. I think this is a great topic, Matt, because we tell many, many of our clients, uh, we're not uh, supposed to know the contract that you're signing every day as well as you. We're there to help explain it. We might be there to help draft it. But you as a small business owner need to know your contract better than anyone else. And if there's a clause in there you don't understand, uh, that's our role, to help explain it so that you know what you're getting into. And a lease agreement is a classic example. We love rental property. Many, many of our listeners and followers own rental property. So what this indemnification clause can be a big deal. So Matt, please tell. All right, Cal, okay, and explain what indemnification is and then give a quick tip about it. So indemnification is basically a way where you say, if you cause me damages, so if you do something that makes me get sued, then you have to cover my damages and losses you cause me. So for example, let's say I'm a business owner and I have an independent contractor that works for me. And maybe I hire this person to go deliver products to people every once in a while or, or do certain tasks. And that independent contractor gets in a car accident. 
and they're delivering my product or somehow involved in a task for my business. Well, if I somehow get sued because of that in my business, I'm going to have an indemnification clause in my contract with that person that says, hey, you're the one that screwed up. You have to cover my damages and defend me in this lawsuit. And that's what indemnification is. So you'll see that a lot in contracts. There'll be an indemnification clause that says, if you do something dumb, that means I get sued. You got to cover my damages. Now, one thing you want to be careful about, and this is where the tip is on indemnification clauses, is you, you want to make sure that the indemnification clause protects you. A lot of times you'll get a contract and it says, it says I'm going to have to indemnify the other guy, but the other guy doesn't have to indemnify me. So what you want really in the end is a mutual indemnification clause. So if the clause basically says, I'm the only one on the hook if I do something dumb, but the other person's not on the hook if they do something dumb, you're going to ask for a mutual indemnification clause that says you're both bound to that same standard. If either of you do something dumb that causes the other person to get sued, you're going to cover their damages or losses. So that's the tip. If there's an indemnification clause in a contract, make sure it's mutual so that you're not on the short end of the stick and um, you're um, being protected from any risks of independent contractors or vendors or any other party you may be contracting with. And that's it. Well, I like it, but Matt, I'm going to take the tip to a whole level, which I'll do on the show from time to time. I would say, make sure that the indemnification protects you, but not the other guy. You know, that's really what we want to do. I don't care about the mutual identification. Hey, buddy, look out for yourself. You know, if you're right. stupid enough to sign this thing, sign it. So, right. uh, you know, I'm just saying, you know, worst case scenario. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Hey, f- fair enough. If you're in the driver's seat on the contract, you might as well write it to just protect you and don't get up, give up what you don't have to. Um, but uh, uh, either way, I think uh, indemnification is really important and something that's overlooked. I love it. Great tip, Matt. All right. Now let's move over to our tax tip now. A tax tip you can actually understand and won't put you to sleep. A tax tip that could save you thousands. Well, it is my honor to share an amazing tax tip here with you. And before we go to break, let me just tantalize your tax planning taste buds here because you're going to love this tip. And that is saving on the travel deduction. This fall, when you're doing your special travel, I want to make sure that you're getting a tax write-off on every one of your trips. So right after the break, come back, and we'll be talking about the travel to duck. Welcome back to the Refresh Your Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Mark Kohler was just about to give us a tax tip on travel. So take it away, Mark. Well, thanks for that wonderful introduction. I'm glad for all of, uh, that we're here today. I love this. I love this show. I love this topic about just saving money. So many people out there are so excited to go to a conference or workshop and, oh, this guy's going to talk how to blow up my business and, you know, triple my sales. Well, you know what? Uh, Sometimes going to the conference that says, how can I save taxes is just as powerful. A penny saved is a penny earned. So here's some ways I can help you make some money this year. And that is this fall, when you're planning your vacations and your trips, be thinking about business purposes with your travel. 
Whenever you have a business purpose with your travel, you can write off your travel expenses. Now, travel is not limited by 50%, like meals and entertainment. You could write off 100% of your airfare, hotel, uh, the rental car, rental car gas, valet, tips, uh, buses, uh, horse and carriage, whatever. If you're going on a trip, this is your chance to write off your travel. Now, there's a few caveats. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to have my corporate meeting in New York, go Christmas shopping, and spend you know, a whole week in New York, but for 13 minutes, I'm going to have my corporate meeting. No, that's not going to work. You need to make sure that you're uh, conducting some legitimate business for a, a fair amount of time on your trip. Now, uh, a couple, just Matt, if I may, quick five examples are meet with a vendor, uh, talk to someone that you may buy product or services from, meet with a customer, some that you work with. Uh, a typical business day is gonna, I'm gonna interject this right now, a typical business day is at least four hours. So you need to at least do four hours of business for one day on that trip to at least cover your day of travel there, your day of travel back and your day of business. Man, I want extra. that typical. Man, I want that typical. Day <laughs> four hours. Whew. That's the that's the European method. So, oh, okay. uh, you know, all right, yeah, uh, and you get a siesta, so it's kind of <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So, but at least four hours of business. Now, meet with a vendor. Meet with a customer. Hold your annual meeting for your LLC or your corporation. Take good minutes. Attend a workshop. I'm having five workshops around the country, come out to Philadelphia, go to Sacramento, Orange County, come visit Disneyland, go to Hawaii. The, I know Matt's doing workshops around the country. These are on our newsletter. You wanna know where the workshops are at, attend a workshop. And then one of the best ways to deduct your travel is to go check on one of your rental properties. Number five, if you have rental property around the country, take a trip. And this is why I love to buy rentals where your family's at, where you visit, where you go. So I, in fact, have a rental property next to my mother-in-law up in Idaho. So Thanksgiving, when I go to uh, check on my rental, I might mosey on over and have some turkey dinner. I, some call it Thanksgiving. I call it a tax write-off. Oh, whatever. <laughs> you know, just think about that. That's that's my travel tip, man. So get yeah. on your calendar. Make it happen. Yeah. You know, I like how you're writing off your family trips. Some people that means totally different thing, but you know, you're, you're writing it off in a positive way. <laughs> all right. I like it. Well, awesome tax tip. Um, all right. Well, we have our question from the week. I want to just run over from last week. Uh, we, you know, those of you who listen, we do a question of the week every week and the winner who submits an answer to Mark, M-A-R-K at KQSLawyers.com or Matt, M-A-T at KQSLawyers.com receives a free copy of Mark or Matt's book. And I, I like referring to myself in that way. <laughs> and uh, so last week's question was a softball and it was, what is the annual IRA contribution amount? And this was a softball question. Um, we did get an answer in um, that was rather quick, and that was from Andre. And Andre wrote in and said that the annual contribution amount for an IRA is $5,500. If you're over 50, it's an, it's an additional $1,000. Um, and thanks. And oh, sorry, this is, this is Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice move, Matt. That's my co-host, Matt Sorensen. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little Bruce Jenner move there or something. Sorry, that's Andrea. <laughs> I like it. Uh, apologize for that. Um, but Andrew, send me your uh, address and which book you want, and we will go ahead and send that out. And uh, thanks for responding. And um, we really appreciate those who are responding to the questions. We love getting the answers. And uh, make sure you're getting in the mix on this. We like to send out free books. And um, 
so please respond in on these questions. We really appreciate the feedback and answers that we get. Um, now, yeah, Mark, the, what's the, the at, Go ahead. Yeah, the, and I was going to say that was a speed round question last week where we, you know, a lot of people know what an IRA contribution is, 5,500 bucks, boom. So for those of you that are listening to this iTunes uh, podcast uh, recording even on the weekend, you don't know who's listening to the show yet. And a lot of AM listeners don't have the ability to jump on an email while they're, of course, driving down the road. That would be illegal in most states, FYI. <laughs> but uh, don't think that someone else has beat you to this because we really don't get as many responses as you would think. And we'd love to give you a free copy of either mine or Matt's book, which we just don't give away very often. This is the only place you can get a copy of our book for free. We rarely even raffle these off at workshops. You have to buy these bad boys on Amazon if you want. So I've got another question for you this week. Uh, this is going to be uh, more of a legal question. No numbers involved. And this is a very simple question, yes or no. So if you're by your email and you're even catching this on a, while you're burning some email on a Friday or Saturday night, please respond. We'd love to hear from you and just get your creative juices flowing. So here's the question. Does a revocable living trust protect your assets? Very, very simple, straightforward. We have many, many clients that we're doing estate plans for. Just yesterday, I, have a con I had a conference call with a client that was like, we're so excited to get our estate plan done. And we know if we set up this trust, we're going to protect our assets. And I either had to confirm that or I had to tell them, no, that's not true. So I, the question is out there, just yes or no, does a revocable living trust in your basic estate plan protect your home from a lawsuit? There you go. I love that. True, true, false questions. Though I was the best at those in school. That was the best. Give me true, false. <laughs> yep. And if you would like to reply, I need to say it now. Please send an email to either Matt or myself. That's Matt M A T with one T at K K O S Lawyers dot com or Mark M A R K at K K O S is in Sorensen Lawyers L A W Y E R S dot com. So those are. Those are, that's a question for the week, Matt. So I, I guess we're coming back to this amazing topic of the show today, and we're ready to dive into this. Matt, buying a business. What is, I, you know, kind of love yeah. it. Yeah. Let me, let me try and break up the conversation here because there's so much to talk about when you're buying a business. So um, we want to talk about due diligence, um, which is, you know, making sure you're understanding the business, getting the right facts, getting the details, know what, know what you're getting into. Um, we want to talk about deal structuring. What are the different ways to structure the purchase of a business? And then we also want to talk about some tax and legal issues. And a lot of those tax and legal issues go into the deal structuring. So let me just start off here and we'll get into this due diligence topic before the break. And I just want to introduce uh, what is due diligence and what should you be doing? Now, due diligence is essentially a process of gathering out information, documentation from the seller of the business. You're going to request financial records, prior tax returns, maybe interview employees of the business, talk to vendors, inspect lease agreements. There's a due diligence checklist you want to run through and make sure you're really understanding what the business is. Now, we're going to come back after the break here. We'll be talking more about due diligence and the activities you should be conducting if you're looking into buying a small business. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back on the Refresh Your Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen.
Well, welcome back to the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. And if you're just joining us, we are talking about purchasing a business. And uh, exciting topic. Many of you out there may have wanted to buy a business in the past and or, or looking at a business right now. So uh, important topic. And my amazing partner was just bringing up the double D due diligence. What do you do, Matt? <laughs> uh, that's a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. It is. All right. Let me let me give a couple tips of due diligence that I think some people are surprised about and, and don't think about. The first one is a lot of people when they're selling a business are going to represent, all right, here's the annual profits, net income of business. And um, they'll demonstrate that to you to say, well, because, you know, this business has $300,000 of annual net income, it, then you should be paying X for that. And the one question you want to make sure you understand as you're looking at buying a business is, does the business owner work in that business full time? Is this an owner operator business or do I just own it and I have employees run the business? If it's an owner operator business, you want to understand, is that owner taking a salary for working in the business all day long? I mean, if it's their full-time job and it's going to become your full-time job, then you want to know. Is there a salary being paid to the business owner or is this business owner just considering the profits to be part of their salary? Because that makes a difference when you look at the financials. A lot of times I'll see a business that might have a, you know, maybe it's a, real, a smaller business that has a hundred thousand of net income and the business owner's not putting in any salary into the equation when representing the profits. So if you're going and buying a business like that, you're really just buying a job that pays a hundred thousand dollars a year if it's an owner operator job. So first thing is key in on whether the business owner is taking a salary and whether this, if it's owner operator and whether that salary number is being represented in the profits or not, just so you have a good idea of what the real true profits in the business are. I love that, Matt. And I like how you said it can be, uh, the, the whole result could be buying a job. And it's really sad when we see small business owners buy into this business and find out that their profit is really reflective of just a salary. And, and they miss the fact that the, the seller was not taking a salary. Great point. Now, I like, Matt, that you also brought up the financials of verifying the profit. Um, this mm -hmm. is something as an accountant I've done many times in my career is helped a buyer figure out is the profit really what they uh, say it is uh, and doing some sort of cross-checking. So the first place you want to start with that is the tax return. And so when the f seller gives you financial, they're not going to give you the tax return. That's something they're going to ask for. Usually there's an NDA. We'll probably talk about that in a moment, this disclosure agreement in the process and how important those are. But you're going to ask for tax returns. And when you get their tax returns, you're going to cross-check that against the financials. And a lot of times accountants, what we'll do is called add-backs. We're going to say, okay, what are we adding back to the profit of the company that the business owner was probably writing off? See, if you if we're your accountant and and K and E CPA and KQS lawyers, we love to save you taxes. Well, you're going to be writing off everything under the sun in your small business. That may not be what a buyer is going to write off. So you want to take their financials, their tax return, add back from the tax return all the crap that they're writing off, and see if you can somehow verify what they're reporting to the IRS is really what they're telling you the business is making. The third cross-check, and this is a big topic, I mean, the full day weeks of training on this when you're an accountant to understand how to audit, for lack of a better word, someone's financials and cross-check this, is to also look at the bank statements. I myself have had to pull bank statements from the business owner that's selling and go, hold it, you're saying you're 
making this much money. What is it in the bank account? Oh, well, I guess put that under the table. Oh, so you want me to buy a business assuming that you're taking money under the table and that's part of your revenue, but you're not reporting on your tax return or the bank account. So that's a complete trust issue that is just uh, very, very dangerous as a buyer. You've got to cross-check those financials. Yeah, and a, uh, another thing on due diligence, I love those. I love that tip, by the way, on the, on the financials and tax returns, Mark. Um, another tip on due diligence is you want to understand what is the key factors in the business. What makes this business a success? And is there a, a major customer base? Is there a, a, an important marketing strategy? And you want to really verify and understand, is that strategy going to be affected if I purchase this business? Sometimes you can have someone selling a business because the business owner themselves sees the business turning. They may have key customers or relationships that they're, they got competition on, or you know, there can be issues in the business and a seller selling it because of that. So if there's key things that make the business a success, um, you want to make sure you understand those key things and verify their, you know, that they're going to be there when you come in and purchase and that those things are not going to be disturbed uh, once you come in and acquire the business. This is a really good point. And it's all about attitude. I want to bring this point up of attitude because I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Matt knows this. I think we even talked about it in a staff meeting uh, or a partnership meeting this last week where whenever we get hit with another problem in the business, I'm always like, yeah, but Matt, look at this, you know, and I, I get excited. And I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I try to be very, very positive in my life. But when you're going to analyze a business to buy it, that is not the attitude you want. The Attitude should be, tell me why I should buy this business, not why I shouldn't. So you shouldn't be going into this business due diligence process thinking of what could be wrong, what could be wrong. You're trying to say, prove to me how awesome this is and be very, very skeptical because it's so easy to put on these rose-colored glasses. We're excited. We envision ourselves behind the counter. We envision this as our business and we think of all these good things that could happen if we buy it. That's fine. But you need to be going in there looking at all the really bad things that can happen. And Matt, I think your point of what's the underlying, what's that underlying reason or purpose for why the seller is selling? What do they see coming around the corner that you don't? Ooh, good. All right. Well, let me, anything else on due diligence, Mark? I was going to jump into deal structuring here, which I'm excited to oh, talk about. Oh, no, I love this. And, and it's, uh, uh, you can tell folks this is unscripted. Man, this is live radio. We are loving this. We're just going back and forth. I do want to, I did bring up the topic NDA. So uh, yeah. the non-disclosure agreement, Matt, I know you've worked with these more than uh, uh, me. You've worked with these. So what, what are your thoughts on an NDA? I mean, just explain what they are so people can expect to use these. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people, when they're selling a business and they're going to provide you with financial information and details about, about their business, they're going to, they may ask you to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which essentially is a, a document that they're going to have you sign that says, hey, we're going to give you all this information about our business that's confidential, private information of ours. We don't want you disclosing that or going and using it against us. So, um, so th those are common to see if you run across them. Um, you, want to, you, you, know, you may be asked to sign it. The one thing I'd say from a buyer's perspective is if you're looking in a particular industry, just make sure that that non-disclosure agreement doesn't prevent you from going and buying some other business. If you, you know, Sometimes someone will draft a non-disclosure agreement that says, you know, if you don't buy our business and you look at details about our business, you can't buy any other business in the industry or start a business in the industry. 
And you obviously don't want to sign one like that. And usually they don't go to that extent, but um, that's just one thing to look for from a buyer's perspective if you're signing an NDA. Yeah. And they can be dangerous because yeah, this seller is going to say, hold it. You opened a coffee shop up across the street and you just looked at mine. Obviously I shared all this private information. So you're screwing me over. And so you've got to be a little uh, careful about thinking uh, again about the plans you have and what you sign and what you agree not to use or look at. So uh, this is where having a lawyer involved early in the process, just to bounce ideas off is a very, very important. Uh, we have five lawyers in our office. We help clients around the country analyze letters of intent, NDAs, uh, asset purchase agreements. Uh, what, what should I be looking for in my due diligence? This is common information uh, that, uh, we as attorneys deal with every, every day around the country and just find someone that knows what they're doing that can, again, just be a resource to you and it doesn't have to be expensive. Now that brings us to deal structuring, Matt. What's your uh, first tip on the, the deal structure? How do you put these things together? All right. Well, I want to give people a framework of what's involved in doing a deal when you're buying a business. Now, generally speaking, if you're the buyer of the business, it's going to be your responsibility and really your opportunity to present the purchase agreement. This is nice because as the buyer, you're in the driver's seat. So you're going to have a, a, a number of documents you're typically going to present to the seller as the buyer. The first thing you're going to have is, is an option. I'm going to talk through some other documents here, but let me just, I want to lay these out quickly first. You're going to have either an asset purchase agreement or a stock purchase agreement. We're going to go over which one you're going to want. You're typically going to have maybe a lease assumption agreement or a lease if this is a business with a storefront. There may be a note or seller financing document. A lot of businesses are going to have seller financing involved. I love buyers to do sell, to have seller financing involved. We'll talk about why you would want that. There may also be a consulting agreement from the seller of the business that obligates them to consult with you in the transition of the business. And there might be some other documents involved, some ancillary schedules and you know, explanation of assets and schedules. But those are the main documents that are going to be in the deal structure. We're going to come back after the break here and talk through what you're going to want in these documents and what are the key terms to look out for because they're absolutely critical when you're buying a business. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Refresh Your Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. We're talking today about buying a business. I was just going over some of the common documents. The biggest and most important document you're going to have when buying a business and structuring the deal is either an asset purchase or stock purchase agreement. Uh, Mark, why don't you jump into that and explain why you may want one over the other and what's involved in that? You bet. And this is a really a big tax issue. And I know that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize that this document out of your uh, entire acquisition because most of the other documents Matt's referring to will be exhibits to this this structural agreement and as a buyer you nine times out of ten 98 percent of the time are going to want an asset purchase agreement an asset purchase agreement is going to allow you to take all the assets that in a schedule of sorts from the buyer step them up with basis and then start depreciating them or write them off quickly in your business. Uh, now, 
from a competing standpoint, the seller would love a stock sell agreement, a stock purchase agreement, because they can get capital gain treatment, just sell you the stock and walk away. But then you inherit all their internal basis of crap they've already written off. That's terrible. Usually there's a compromise you meet in the middle and there's going to be some goodwill and some asset allocations that allow the seller to get some capital gain. But as a buyer, you really want to try to allocate as much of the purchase price to real hard assets, and inventory and product and crap that you can just write off really, really quickly. So the asset purchase agreement is going to be a good 10 to 20 page document. It's going to be the foundation of your business acquisition. And then Matt, that kind of brings up these exhibits, uh, like even the lease, this lease assumption agreement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one other thing on that asset purchase agreement, another reason to use it. I mean, there's really two key reasons. There's the tax one, um, Mark, you just outlined, but also there's some liability issues. I mean, if, if you buy a business under a stock purchase agreement, you're taking over that existing company that the seller has, which can have, you know, it could have some liability, some lawsuit in the past that you don't even know about. And so you assume all those liabilities when you buy under a stock purchase agreement, whereas under an asset purchase agreement, you're going to start up your new business. You may buy the name of the seller in the business process, and that's an asset you're acquiring, but you're not acquiring all the liabilities. So there's another um, uh, pro in favor of the asset purchase agreement. Um, Yeah. So one of the other documents may be a lease assumption. Um, Maybe the seller owns the business location where it's at and is going to lease it to you. So it could be a new lease. Um, But let me talk about um, one general concept that I think drives some of the terms and deal structuring that I think really benefits a buyer. And that is when you're buying a business, you want to find a way to structure the deal that the seller is incentivized to help you and is motivated to make you be successful. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give an example. When I'm structuring a deal, I don't want to pay the seller everything up front. Because they're going to cash out at closing and be like, wipe their hands of this business and be like, all right, I'm going into retirement now. They don't want to get dragged into your business. They don't want to help you. And they're not really incentivized in your success. However, if you structure a purchase so that there's some seller financing, the seller is owed money. Um, Maybe it's, uh, I want some seller financing involved. That is going to motivate the seller to make you be successful. They want your business to succeed because they want the rest of their money paid back under the seller financing. Another issue on that, I was just going to say one other issue on that that drives that is the consulting agreement. You know, if you have a consulting agreement that is common, that basically says, you know, the seller is going to consult with the buyer during a transition period to help the buyer understand the business. Don't have that consulting agreement paid up all at closing. Pay it over time as this, as this, you know, monthly, for example, if the seller's helping for three to six months so that there's, there's, there's something tying them back that makes them come back and help you. Um, and so, so that I just want them to be incentivized in your success. Well, Matt, I love it. I was just going to bring up the consulting agreement and you beat me to the punch. I love it. And I, you know, this is, this is some of you listening here may be feeling overwhelmed. And so I want to just give you a, a little, kiss and a hug and tell you, don't stress out. This is a very uh, common transaction for a business attorney to deal with, to walk you through these issues, to help you uh, not uh, step on any landmines and and just be uh, make the process very, very uh, seamless. So again, getting uh, legal support early on is so, so important. But 
but you know, I want to share just this quick example of a weird story I had. I had these clients walk into my office and they had bought a business and it had blown up. It was just a disaster. There was a lawsuit now between the seller and the and these young. This was a young couple. They had just bought this business and they were really doing well with the business, but the seller was just back into their world and upset. And I said, "Well, show me your purchase agreement. Show me all the docs. Let's see what we're dealing with." Matt, I'm not kidding you. They pulled out one sheet of paper and at the top there was a paragraph, one paragraph that said, mm-hmm. hey, we sell your business for X dollars and you can take over on July 1st, the end. And they both yeah. signed it somewhere in the middle of the paper. And I was like, this is it? And they go, yeah, that's all we have. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you wonder why there's a lawsuit now and a problem. Yeah. And it was just, so I, I just can't emphasize enough that these documents may sound overwhelming and all these little tips and strategies Matt and I are sharing, but you do not want to waste your hard earned money that you've saved for years and years and years by not uh, dotting all the I's, crossing the T's. And some, one of the best things that can happen in this process is that you don't buy the business and give away five years of your life, bare minimum, just trying to get out of it. So uh, be very, very apprehensive. It's okay, we want you to be an entrepreneur. We love people buying small businesses, but we've gotta be cautious. Now, Matt, we've gotta get our five-star review out there this week. So we've got another one, right? Yeah, man, they're adding up. We got over 75-star reviews on iTunes. And we've only been on iTunes with the Refresh Your Wealth show for about a month now. So really excited for that feedback. We had a review from Jeff in Lake City who gave a five-star review and said, found the transition to Refresh Your Wealth. Love this for multitasking, exercising. The S-Corp podcast a week ago was huge. Thanks, K&E CPAs, for helping getting my going, payroll reminders, et cetera. Wealth refreshes from Jeff. So um, love that review. Uh, appreciate that. And uh, as you know, people, if you give if you give a five-star review, we like to reward those people. We pick one and, and send out a free book. So it'll be a free book going Jeff's way. Well, and Jeff, uh, we'll be in touch with you via email to find out which book you want. Of course, I will either sign mine or sign Matt's. So whatever you prefer. And uh, we're so excited to be here with you. Folks, this has been another amazing uh, Refresh Your Wealth show. We hope that uh, you'll be here with us next week. And please stay in touch. And until then, keep living your American dream. Don't give up. And we'll see you next week for another episode of the Refresh Your Wealth Show. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. 